Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jerry Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Uh, we are very excited about our upcoming conference, January 21st through the 23rd, the Founders Conference on the Doctrine of God right here in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, registrations are increasing at a rapid clip. Yes. And so uh, we want you to come and join us, but you'll need to do that quickly. You can register at founders.org. Who do we have coming to speak? Man, we've got James Dolezal, who has uh, done great work on the simplicity of God and on the nature of God and uh, how we should think classically about theism. We also have uh, Chad Vegas, who has done wonderful work in world missions and has been just a catalyst for getting key people in key places around the world. Be talking about the nature of God in missions. And then we got you and we got me and we have a new addition to the lineup. We got Vody Balkum, who is also going to be coming. Uh, Vody is the Dean of the African Christian University in Lusaka, Zambia. And he's been with us before this conference. We're looking forward to having him back. So again, registrations are open. Uh, there is a limited number that we can accept. So we encourage you to sign up. January, Southwest Florida. I mean, people come here on vacation from around the world just to have this weather in January, and you get to have a conference here as well. There you go. So I encourage you to come. That's going to be a great time. I'm so glad Vody's going to be able to join us. We're also going to have him on, I think, season two of Wield the Sword. So we've got three seasons of Wield the Sword coming out. Wield the Sword season one is in the making and is soon to be produced. Hopefully over the next few months, we're going to be having those episodes drop, and we've got a trailer that's going to be dropping for season one this week, right? This week, before the end of the week, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's exciting to see what is coming together, and uh, those episodes are almost in the can, so God willing, we'll be dropping the first one in just a few weeks. Yeah, the the um, vision behind that Wheel of the Sword project is to actually take God's Word and apply it to the issues of the day, the realities of our lives that we are facing and seeing just how far uh, gone uh, much of our life has uh, become from Holy Scripture. And there's a tendency to say, well, I want to hold on to the Bible, but you know, and then I go out and live my life however right. the secularists do. Well, no, we need to actually put that Word to work. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a massive project. I mean, we're, we're basically trying to do 15, maybe 16 or 17, because we're thinking about adding a couple of episodes to what we've already planned, um, versions of the By What Standard Synodoc we did last year. And so that was a massive undertaking. Uh, we couldn't do it without support. So we're grateful for those that have contributed to the production of this. We encourage you, if you haven't done that and you have means and God would lead you to do so, we would welcome your financial support. Uh, we're hoping to be able to put together uh, some opportunities that um, could have matching gifts. There's there's a, at least a, a prospect of that in the very near future. So watch for that. Before we get away from the conference, however, we're going to make a, a special offer for somebody to be able to come freely to this conference. You're feeling I'm, generous? No, I'm feeling very generous. So here's, here's what they got to do. If, if you will share this episode of the podcast and tag Founders Ministries in it, then you'll be entered into a drawing 
for a completely free registration and a set of books that we're going to give away to you when you come to the conference January 21 through 23. So all you got to do is tag us. You can do that on any social media platform. You I have assume. to say something positive, right? Yeah, you have to be you really can't be polite. like, Founders Mysteries is the worst. That's right. You got to say something nice. You know, you flatter Jared a little bit. And he'll probably put your name in twice. I would I like to do that. Yeah, so. I do like uh, to do that sometimes. No, but do that. Help us spread the word and let folks know what's going on. Uh, spread this podcast. And, and if this podcast blesses you, encourages you, let other people know about it. If you've not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, uh, we encourage you to do that or other podcast platforms. Subscribe to The Sword and the Trial. All right. Today, we want to get into riots, rebellion, and resistance. Uh, The landscape of America in the year of our Lord 2020 has been um, insane. I like to be like a bear. I just wish I could hibernate and just... (laughs) awake in 2021. The problem is I don't think the landscape is going to be looking any better then uh, because these riots are not normal. They're not a game. It's not something that you can really walk back, which I think there's some people that are thinking, well, you know, it's a it's an election year. And so people can say all kinds of crazy stuff and then walk it back. And now they've taken that framework. Well, it's an election year, so we can burn some cities down. And then, you know, once we get whoever we want in office, we can, we can roll that back. And you really can't. The, these riots are a big deal. And uh, I think it's time that we talk about that a little bit, talk about the rebellion that's going on in uh, kind of the cultural mind of America. And then what is the place of resistance? How do we resist this spiritually? How do we resist this physically? What's it going to look like to really have backbone in a time like this? Yeah, boy, there's been so much confusion, uh, so many wrongheaded ideas that have been set forth in the midst of the wake of uh, these Riots. I mean, you know, we've seen Southeastern Seminary have a panel of theologians say, listen, we need to remember what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, that rioting is the voice of the unheard. Mm. Um, is that and, true? That's, it's true they said it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, no, rioting is lawlessness. If you're, if you're trying to psychoanalyze this, you're on the wrong path. You need to sit down. And look at this in the light of what the Bible says. The Bible says this is lawlessness. I mean, even unbelievers recognize this. You don't have to be a Christian to think this way. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 19, you know, there was a riot when Paul was preaching there. And so the folks Mm -hmm. who were being affected with their businesses just created the riot. And it was the town clerk who came and said, you guys need to go home. So we're in danger here of being written up because of, of this lawlessness. This, mm-hmm. this is not allowed in society where you hope to have any kind of natural commerce uh, in business and relationships. Yeah. You, you posted this um, on Twitter, I think, of this Democratic congressional leader. And it was remarkable, man, as he was talking about, uh, I think he was talking about back in the 1960s that he was even a part of that. And his, mm-hmm. his father was involved, maybe. I don't right. remember if it was his yep. father or him. And he was talking about being in suits. And so listen mm-hmm. to this clip and, and hear from a guy who's a Democrat or was a Democrat. I think he's now going to run as an independent or something. Right. He, he left they the kicked party. kicked him out of the party. Because I think he's pro-life. He's pro-life. And yeah. so, but here he is kind of comparing the 1960s to now. And he's saying... Uh, no, we can't absolutely are not going to have people going destroying our property and this needs to end now if we don't start standing for something don't you know that the people who are looking at what's happening in washington in detroit in portland and seattle they're getting emboldened because we act like a bunch of punks too frightened to stand up and protect our own stuff 
You tell me that somebody got the right to tear down property that Tennessee taxpayers paid for? That American taxpayers paid for? And somebody has the right to destroy it, deface it, and tear it down? What kind of people have we become? That we can't protect our own stuff. Peaceful protest ends peacefully. Anarchy ends in chaos. And what we see happening right now, any of us with any common sense, any common sense whatsoever, know that what we see is not peaceful. So we can continue to fool ourselves and mix with words and use rhetoric and public relations in order to frost this stuff over and put a nice picture on what we see that is frightening. Frightening? I have a nephew who is a policeman who talked about getting attacked the other night. You're telling me that somebody has the right to throw feces and urine in the face of those that we as taxpayers pay to protect us and that's okay? What has happened to us? If we don't get this right right now, I've got grandchildren. I don't want to see the country we're going to have 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. If we don't start acting like we got some guts, right now, brethren, sisterin, friends, colleagues, right now. Yeah, man, I saw that and I thought, where are these kind of political leaders <laughs> uh, more widespread today? We, we need about 500 of these guys That's right. at every level of our government. Again, just thinking in terms of, of basic human decency. Uh, we can have political disagreements. We used to have those all the time. We could have debates. We could uh, argue and we could attack positions and then remain friends, remain brothers. But today, there's been such a divide. And I have to say it, because of the Democratic Party's platform, it is absolutely godless. There are a lot of godless things that the Republicans are wanting to do as well, however. So don't don't take this as a partisan, you know, be Republican, not Democrat. But I don't know how any Christian can be supportive of the Democratic platform that enshrines abortion on demand. And then to see what many of these leftist political leaders are doing to fuel the flames of these riots and rebellion Mm. in our society. I, I don't know how a Christian can be supportive of that. And I tell you, every time I read another article from so a supposed Christian thought leader that tells us, you know, how the Democrats are, are all uh, compassionate and loving and that we need to understand these riots is, you know, not, and I, not asking what they're doing, but why they're doing it. So then we can preach the gospel to them. I, I, just, I think we've lost our moral center mm-hmm. and, and the compass is broken. When, whenever you have Christian leaders speaking like that, you need to get you some new leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's kind of a troubling um, clip analysis to watch this democratic congressional leader and the way he's talking about the riots, basically saying this must end now. Right. And he's, uh, you know, have we lost our minds that we're not willing to stand up and have some backbone. And yet we have the North American mission board of the Southern Baptist convention that's soft peddling this and saying, you know, yeah, there's a place for this kind of activity. It's like, how did, how did the Southern Baptist Convention end up further left than a Democratic congressional leader? So it, my concern is people aren't seeing the, the significance of the mm-hmm. riots. Like I was on a podcast recently and I could tell the host was kept trying to talk to me and 
and try to get me to say that, you know, basically it's okay to tear down a statue, you know, like he was like, well, you can think of certain situations. I was like, well, not right now in America. No. So, okay. You know, if you're over the tearing down of Saddam Hussein statue and all this kind of stuff, you know, battle that there's one up of Hitler and there's a big battle and you win the victory, I get it. You can remove stuff, but to go and lay your hands on uh, that, which is not yours, that, which is, is, paid for by the taxpayers to go out and say, well, you know, because this is some historical figure and he did something that I didn't like, I'm going to go out here in an act of rebellion and an act of anarchy, tear this statue mm-hmm. down and go roll it in. Or I'm going to go set a building on fire uh, that is not mine. This is not just stealing. It's not just defamation of public property. Uh, this is from a mob-like, murderous kind of impulse. And you're creating situations for the society uh, that we haven't normally been in. You normally were in places where you could call authorities and have something right. shut down. But when you begin to act in this kind of way, you're going to get certain responses. Um, is it is it public knowledge? I heard you told me earlier, public knowledge that Eric Metaxas took a swing at somebody in D.C. Yeah, he did. After the uh, last night of the Republican National convention uh, he was walking back to his hotel and there's this guy on a bike who's screaming and riding in between the folks that are walking to their hotel and he is uh, just cursing them and uh, using very profane language and so he comes toward Eric Metaxas and Eric is walking with some friends and I've been told maybe an elderly pastor was one of them and this guy comes right at him. Well, Metaxas, who's very mild-mannered, you know, all of his friends said, we, we're we surprised this is not Eric. And Rod Dreher wrote this long, tortured piece about, this is not my friend Eric. This is not my friend Eric. Until he got an eyewitness account. And then he said, okay, I've overthought this. And I'm glad that, that he took a swing at him. So he swings at this guy. Uh, doesn't hit him hard, but the fellow's off balance, falls off his bike, and starts threatening to sue him. So this is, <laughs> he said, uh, uh, this is a federal offense, I think is what he said. This is a capital prior, a federal offense or something like that. It's just it's goofy. But yeah, Eric Metaxas. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little uh, case study here. If you've got a mild-mannered, reasonable man like him mm-hmm. who takes a swing at somebody who is basically an anarchist and uh, a riotous person who is threatening uh, the, the party that Eric's with, don't think that's not in the minds of others. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rand Paul, same thing, same right. night, you know, and I appreciate what uh, uh, Rand Paul said about it afterwards. He says, you know what, so th- this is orchestrated. This is being promoted. This is not something that's organic that just bubbled up. This is being promoted. And I know we'll have evangelical leaders saying, oh, that's a conspiracy. You don't be a conspiracy theorist. theorist. Well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe in conspiratorial facts. And the Bible talks about conspiracies. And so we shouldn't be blown away if such conspiracies exist Mm -hmm. in our own day. If there's not orchestrated efforts to do evil, to overthrow that which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, while we have like cities burning and uh, women being accosted in the streets by people chanting Black Lives Matter and threatening people and all of this kind of stuff, maybe we could talk about QAnon. Yeah, well, Joe Carter thinks so. So he writes this article about this is a much greater threat than critical theory and uh, things like that to the evangelical church. And I I thought that was so misguided. And and again, it's an example of here we have America burning, you know, in in many places. We have absolute lawlessness rioting in the streets. And too many evangelical leaders are saying, we need to talk about this or, you know, we we need to uh, have our gaze focused over here. And it's as if... 
we're, we're being encouraged to just close our eyes right. and not see what is absolutely in front of us. Yeah, I, CNN had this recent post, and it had like a building <laughs> up in flames with like full-fledged looking like SWAT gear guys out here. I mean, just helmets and, uh, you know, body shields and heavy artillery. And, and it said something like, you know, yeah, well, Trump basically, it, it helps Trump if he calls it a riot, yeah. you know. And, and then you had that one with the pe- mostly peaceful protest. Mostly peaceful, yeah. And, and this has already happened. I mean, it happened months ago. I remember there was a meme that went around with a guy saying, you know, this is mostly peaceful on the video. And the, and the building's on fire. And they've done it again. Yeah. And I get the sense that that people are playing around with this stuff. So there's a lot of people that are mad in the streets and you have like heavy Antifa and far leftists that are setting stuff on fire. But then you have this kind of um, maybe a middle leftist, evangelical, soft leftist, whatever, that think that you can kind of turn this on and turn it off. And, Mm -hmm. And even in the language of, you know, and I think this is partly true that when the election happens, you know, okay, the media is going to try to shut it down and act like nothing happened. And, I'm concerned about Christians that think, well, okay, it's an election year. Things are, things are getting bad and they're very political right now, but you know, things may calm down. The problem is that's denying that there is really a, a fundamental worldview commitment that leads one to this kind of rebellion in the streets. And there's the fundamental worldview commitment that leads the civil authorities and the civil society in general unable to address to it, un, unable yeah. to just say, we are not going to do that here. And and so we're seeing the manifestation of some bad ideologies that have been around for a long time. And that means, no, we got a bigger problem. This yeah, isn't absolutely. just, this isn't, it, it is manufactured. There are people that are, that are working and pulling the strings to make it happen, but we actually don't have the moral fortitude to stop it. Yeah. I, I think there are two things that folks need to wake up to. One is the reality of what is going on because that, that just gets glossed over. Uh, I read statistics that over a hundred thousand businesses have already been destroyed that will never come back. 55% of the businesses that shut down during COVID will never come back. They don't anticipate them ever coming back. Well, that's not just brick and mortar. I mean, that's somebody's livelihood. That's many people's livelihood. So we need to face the facts, not close our eyes, not pretend or whitewash it at all. These are, these are devastating things that are happening in the United States right now. And then secondly, what you said, how did we get here? What's underneath this? What is the thinking of a person that would make him believe it's a good idea to just smash the windows of Target and go looting because you can, because the police have been made to stand down? Mm -hmm. What's going on there? And then what's in the mind of the civil authorities that say, okay, police stand down? Yeah. See, this is, this is, that's a good question. I would love to talk a long time about this. Um, If you go back to the, the will to power idea. So if, if there is a materialistic world and that's all that there is, there is no God above who in his sovereign providence uh, brings forth realities. It's just, it's just a system. It's just a mechanical operation. Well, I know I hit this button and you kind of got the Hegelian dialectic thesis, uh, antithesis and synthesis. And so if I want something, well, I'm going to go set something on fire. I mean, it's, it's nothing other than a little kid in the store. If I scream loud enough, then mom's going to mm. get me a candy bar. And you have the same kind of thing happening at the civil level from those on the left who say, we know how to get something done. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, if you do have a highly pragmatic right, you know, if you have a right that has that that might talk still about almighty God, but really 
doesn't doesn't believe in that almighty God, but have been given into pragmatism. Well, when you punch them over here, if the left punches such people, you really have two options on the right. Number one, my pragmatism is just going to smack you back and I'm not ready to give you whatever you want. And so I'm just going to resort to, you know, the the kind of physical uh, reaction or I'm just going to give in. I'm going to find some kind mm-hmm. of compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give you something to get you quiet in the grocery store. So, you know, you might not get everything that you want, but you're going to get something. And so you have this, you kind of have both sides operating in this materialistic um, world that's unwilling to say, no, whatever the cost is, I actually have a standard. I have a, uh, I have divine revelation that I'm operating upon and I'll trust myself to God, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do in whatever station of life that is. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to put it. Um, my fear, and I'm, I'm seeing this, it's not you know, just an empty fear, is that there are people who are principled and who are going to resist this uh, tyrannical overreach by the people in the street and then government officials as well. And they're doing it on principle, but there are others who are pragmatic who are saying, you hit me, I'm going to hit you twice. And so I, I fear that this leftist movement that has been largely unchecked is creating extremists on the right. It's creating white supremacists who say, man, look at this. We've, we've tried, you know, we've been quiet, but they don't have principles of godliness. They don't have this commitment to the fact that, no, there is a God in heaven. And even these riots, even all the lawlessness is not happening out from under his providence. He is providentially ruling over this as well. And the fact that things are riotous doesn't give me a license to go and do what just may feel natural to me in response. Mm-hmm. So man, I you know, I think the extremes are being fed right now because we don't have principled leadership. Right. And we need it desperately. Yeah. So you have this you have a kind of a leftist rebellion flavor. You go from anything from Antifa, Black Lives Matter, what is it, wants to destroy the nuclear family. And and you know, we could list on and on again where we see the anarchy and then the rebellion and then you have the people who are in the positions of power who don't understand that authority and their responsibility to almighty god and that they can't flinch at some of this stuff and they can't coddle a lot of this stuff and they have to be able to use force but to use it um not it's it's the same way in disciplining a child right scripture tells us to discipline children and well you don't do that because you're angry you know, right. you don't, that's not, that's not, not violent. It's not that, um, it's restraint and faith in God and trusting his word, but not budging on this, mm-hmm. right? Because it won't be good for you. If you run in the street, a busy street, you're going to get hit by a car and you need civil authorities that are operating in that kind of mindset. Yes. God has given us the sword and yes, there is law. So it's not just screaming out law and order constantly, you know, without making any sense. but it is saying there, there is a standard here and I'm, I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to be giving on this and feeding into this rebellion that is going to continue as long as it's uh, permitted to continue. Yeah, and and that raises the important uh, question of, okay, when is force legitimate Mm -hmm. for a Christian? And uh, what kind of force is legitimate? We're in a day when any kind of force is uh, accused of being violence. You know, I mean, even words are accused of being violent and attitudes and demeanor and silence is violence. I mean, we've just heard it all. But what is a legitimate use of force? 
Well, I, you know, I've thought about this some in my own life, family, raising my children. Uh, we had some things happen to us early when we just had a couple of kids that uh, exposed my lack of preparation to defend my family against violence. And so it, it put me on this trajectory pretty rapidly. And, and I've come to conclude the sixth commandment that says you shall not murder, it promotes life. It means that I need to honor the life, not only my life, the life of, of those that are near and dear to me, but the lives of other image bearers. And so if I see someone being murdered, I can't say, you know, that's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. No, it is my responsibility. I know God and I know his law and his law says that this is illegitimate, it's illegal, it's godless, and I need to protect the life of my fellow image bearer. So how do you do that? Well, there's a difference between just the uh, wanton exercise of violence and the appropriate use of force. And so in my own mind, and I, I know Christians disagree with this, but I've come to some pretty strong conclusions pretty clearly thus far, is that I am prepared to defend the, the lives of my family, those that I know and love, and indeed, anyone who is being threatened murderously to have their life taken from them with force. And, you know, what does that look like? Well, it could look like doing something physically with my hands and feet that I am capable of doing, or it could look like picking up whatever object that I have or whatever tool that is available to me to eliminate the threat. And I, I see that in the Sixth Commandment. Yeah, Schaefer gets into this in his Christian Manifesto. At the end of his, he's got a chapter on civil disobedience, and he's got a one on the use of force. And it's fascinating how he talks about the bottom line. He says there is a bottom line, and he's thinking primarily about governmental overreach. Mm-hmm. And at what point uh, do you resist? And at what point do you use force? And uh, that is a a defensive kind of measure. So mm-hmm. you mentioned you're protecting something. So you're not the aggressor in the right. situation. Um, but we have, it, it can get extremely confusing in this mob-like um, world that we're now living in because you have civil authorities who are not able to end a lot of this right. and it's continuing. And so what are you going to do if you're in these particular situations? You do need to think through your responsibility to uh, protect life when people are trying to snuff out life. And there's going to be a lot of things. Um, a lot, there'll be a lot of different situations that you could find yourself where you're going to have to have a lot of Bible bearing down on your mind and heart, but you at least need to get started with that fundamental understanding that you've talked about, that there is a responsibility to protect life. And and we can get down into the to the nuts and bolts of that if you got more you want to say about it. But I, the first thing I want to do is help people make the connection between uh, resistance resistance against this rebellion, physically protecting life. If people are coming, setting things on fire, setting your business on fire, setting your car on fire, accosting women in public, mm-hmm. uh, whatever that is, and also the resistance of the ideologies yeah. and and the. heresies that are being advanced and so it's troubling when when you start to see well we have we have a lot of teachers of god's word right now who are not resisting who aren't resisting the errors that have been encroaching for some time in people's minds and hearts that are now fomenting in this kind of rebellion in the streets well we need to both resist um the erroneous teaching and we're going to need to resist physically if we find ourselves in a situation like you mentioned. Absolutely. And I think where a lot of evangelicals and even some of our leaders get confused at this point is they don't carefully distinguish between the most important thing and the most urgent thing. 
And, and oftentimes, the thing that needs to be done first is not the thing that is most important to do. So you see somebody lighting fires to businesses and houses. Well, what is that most important need of that person? Well, he needs the gospel of Jesus. He, he needs to be redeemed. He needs to be reconciled to God. That is most important. What's the most urgent thing? He needs to be stopped. So the fact that we know what's most important should not ever blind us to the immediate duty and responsibility. So let's look honestly at what's going on. Don't close our eyes and don't be duped in thinking, well, but you know, if we just stop the arsonist, they can still go to hell. And you know, what good have we done? We've, we've kept them from being an arsonist, but they go to hell. Well, that's a wrong way to frame the question. Yeah, they need the gospel. They need, so let's preach the gospel. And that's where I guess if, man, if I could in any way try to help uh, some of the, the spokesmen for evangelicals today, some of our leaders, to think about this, I would, I would plead with them to see what is going on right now and to address it in terms of what God has said in his law. This is lawlessness, pure and simple. It needs to be called that. Any evangelical leader that gives it a pass or that says, oh, we've got to say Black Lives Matter. We've, we've got to be for the organization, as Jamar Tisby has recently said. That, that is a dereliction of duty for a Christian leader to have that mentality. And we need to be willing to say that to our fellow evangelicals who are trying to uh, frame this whole issue apart from the reality that is staring us in the face with every burning building. Mm -hmm. That's urgent. Now, we're not giving up the gospel when we do that. No, they need the gospel. We want to preach the gospel to them, but we need to stop them from violating God's law and destroying people, destroying property. And th those two things are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. They go hand in hand, but one doesn't cancel out the other. A word to pastors on this. You know, we need to... Um recover what it means to faithfully shepherd people and that includes body and soul it's yeah. we're, we're not we're not um imaginary shepherds you know we are really there to shepherd people through life and life is coming at them right now um, at a rapid pace and there's a lot of ethics to work out there's a lot of situations to work out so uh, for example the whole cdc there's a article out recently saying that six like percent of all the deaths are have been only from covid and other things or comorbidities and all, mm -hmm. all sorts of other things and i saw ed stetzer you know tweeted out in the wake of this like pastor you're not a medical professional you know, people just need the Bible. I'm not sure what a, whatever he added to it. I wanted to say to him, you're right, Ed, I'm not a doctor, a medical doctor, but I can count. Yeah, I can count and I can read the articles and I can deal with uh, reality that is coming down to us in God's created world. But that sentiment that he expressed in that tweet um, can be replicated. Absolutely. And so here you are. Hey, you know, you're not a military professional, Tom. And so mm. you just need to be careful about how you're telling people to resist physical assaults. I mean, stay in your lane. You know, it's kind of been spiritualized. Mm. You know, hey, you're not a legal scholar. And so you're not sure about, you know, um, all the law, even constitutionally, and exactly what civil authorities should be doing. So I want you to just leave whatever Governor Newsom's doing to <laughs> Pastor John MacArthur out there in California. Leave that alone. And just kind of stay in your lane. And so there's, there is a temptation because there's a lot going on to say, you know, I'm just going to focus right here. Right. And I'm not going to get into all of that stuff. And that would be a dereliction of Absolutely duty. Would. Now, there is a danger for pastors to get out way on the skinny branches and start to say, well, you know, like if, if, if a man's fingernails get longer than like uh, three quarters of an inch, you know, that's say that's sin. You know, it's like, yeah. and now, if he has a manicure. Yeah. You know, you sinning. can't, you can't get out there on the skinny branches. You're going to fall off. But there's a whole that that's not exactly 
my concern right now when I think about modern American conservative pastor evangelical guy that you know yours is we're thinking we don't know we don't know what to what to say to these people and and how do you uh, teach them and train them to be ready for this so what is the responsibility of husbands and fathers what are you going to do if you're out there in dc and you were there with uh, senator paul and you know this event happened uh, or what what is the responsibility of civil authorities right now or how do we really address the idolatry that's going on in that hard leftist mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. that's thinking that feels entirely justified right. you know uh, how, how do you how do you preach the gospel to black lives matter well is it the first thing i have to do is i come and let them know that i really think black lives matter and i i can agree with their sentiment and you know i believe that this this fomenting of rebellion is just the expression of people that haven't been hurt so i'm here to listen to you is that the right approach to actually see people that are involved in the uh, godless black lives matter organization balani to christ is that the way that you're going to get it done or or civil authorities what are their responsibilities we need to be pressing into all of that uh, based on the scripture so i want pastors to see their responsibility absolutely and you know jared what's what's at the bottom of this we've talked about this you know so often here and founders ministries has tried to emphasize this teach on this we've held conferences on this we've written articles on this we've got a book on this at the bottom of it's long gospel it's mm-hmm. understanding that the God who gave us his law is the same God who gave us the gospel. And the God who loves his gospel loves his law as well. And if you don't see those things straight and you think, well, you know, we're to preach the gospel, we're to preach the gospel and, and what they're doing, yeah, we know it's lawless, but, you know, they're lost and they just need the gospel. Well, yeah, they're lost and they need to be confronted with their lostness and their utter rebellion against the God who created them. You know, we can't just think horizontally, sociologically. We must think theologically about sin. And so every time a looter steals from Target, every time uh, a fire is set to a business, every time someone is brutally attacked or beaten, it is a rebellious act against God. They have violated the law of their creator. They've done a lot of other things, too, and so I'm not downplaying that. But if we don't see it like that, mm-hmm. then the temptation could be, well, yeah, you know, but it's, I mean, it's just property, or they didn't kill them, or, or whatever. No, we must preach the law of God and the gospel. We're not trying to get people saved by preaching the law. What we're trying to do is get them lost. We're trying to get them to see the reality that they have to deal with God. They may only be thinking about civil authorities. They may only be thinking about a certain ethnicity in the populace. But in reality, their problem is with God. They are rebelling against God. That's why they need a Savior. That's why the God against whom they rebel sent his own son into the world to provide salvation for such folks like that. And that's why those of us who have been saved from our rebellion by Jesus Christ, need to proclaim that. But we need to do it with a clear understanding of what sin is, and sin is violation of God's law. Yeah, this is what Paul talks about in his letter to Timothy, where he signals the restraining power of that law. Like, you preach the law of God in the power of the Spirit, 
and it does have a restraining effect on society. Now, it also has an agitating That's effect right. on the individual, where it can it can agitate sin, where Paul talks about in, the, in Romans. You know, this this law can kind of stir up. It's, it's still our sin that is manifested, but the law can do that. But it can also restrain. And we've left off that. Yep. We've left off. I mean, so where you have a you have a Democratic congressional leader that's that's preaching uh, more directly. You know, at least yeah. about that dimension. I'm not saying he's preaching the right. gospel. Don't right. misquote me. I'm saying he's he's telling people, have you lost your mind? You don't do this. We're not going to go this way. And the preacher of, that is in Christ has the ability to say, uh, here's why, and here's right. the judgment that's going to come. And a, a part of this is also dealing with the moral equivalency problem that we've had going on really in church counseling sessions for a long time, and now it's manifesting itself in the public sphere. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is we, we have this idea that a sin is a sin is a sin. And, you know, we just kind of talk like that. And what we mean is that basically they're all, they're all equal. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a, a deep enough doctrine of sin. Well, while it's true that uh, every sin will put you in hell, the smallest sin will put you in hell without Christ, uh, it doesn't follow that all sins are equally grievous, that all sins are equally bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you come and say something mean about me, say, Jared, you look ugly today. And, you know, I reach back and slap you in the face as hard as I can. Uh, we haven't done the same thing. You no, know, you right. say you, then you sit down in the counseling session and say, like, okay, guys, I mean, we've both done bad things here. Okay. We're all sinners. Yeah. And so Tom say, you're sorry. <clears throat> Jared say, you're sorry. Now y'all hug. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's sad, but Christians get tripped up on this. You know, Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart, you know, and if you get angry in a sinful way, then you've committed murder in your heart. So people say, oh, well, you know, yeah, he may be a murderer, but you've been angry, or he may be an adulterer or serial adulterer, but you've had lust. Those are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the the misunderstanding and, and the flattening of sin that's going on not just in our culture, but inside our churches is maddening to me. I mean, recently, um, you know, uh, uh, a guy, SBC leader, said um, that for me the most serious sin, most serious crime or problem we have going right now is abortion. But also I can say the most serious thing is whenever a politician or somebody would uh, call me the N-word. Well, you know, there's multiple problems with that statement. Number one, you can't have two things being the most, all right? I mean, there is a superlative that, it, that trumps everything else. But to see being called a horrible name as morally equivalent with murdering an unborn child, mm-hmm. it is a commentary on how vacuous our ethics are today and how faulty our theological understanding is that would allow such moral equivalency to be spoken and be applauded as profound. Right. So uh, take uh, police shootings, you know, are there police shootings that are unjustifiable? Yeah. Are there police shootings that are justifiable? Yes. And um, are all unjustified police shootings equal, equally grievous? No. No, I mean, of course not. And so you have to, what's happened, they all get lumped Absolutely. in one. So if you have a man that's actually got a knife in his hand, well, that's a different kind of situation than if you were just to have a guy go get shot for, for no Through reason. Through a bedroom window. Yeah, for no reason at all. Um, and my goodness, this is happening in every direction. So I mean, you have Senator Rand Paul getting... Uh, accosted in D.C., you know, and somebody's here screaming at him, yelling at him, threatening them, all of this, having to be protected by armed police. And, you know, will you say, why are you doing all this? 
well, you know, uh, criminal justice reform. <laughs> well, <laughs> Senator Rand Paul is the one who's who's advocating <laughs> criminal right. justice. Well, he's not advocating it enough. That's right. He's fallen short Say of the standard. Name. And so because he's falling short of the standard, I mean, as you're a Christian. It uh, doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't say be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, yeah, it does say that. Okay, so he's a sinner. And so that gives me a right to come here and threaten his life yeah. uh, on the street. These things are radically, you know, not, and that's just one example. Somebody's going to say, you know, Rand Paul wouldn't do anything wrong, which is exactly he wasn't, but this is the way it operates. You have to be thinking about what you're actually doing. If So all the way to the riots, if you're going to pull out some kind of gasoline and set fire to a building, this is a grievous sin. This is rebellion. This is anarchy. And the civil authorities need to come in and stop it and yeah. address it as the grievous sin that it is. And we see this in our judicial system when it's working well. And when it works poorly, we hear the outcry. So if uh, a first-time offender is guilty of shoplifting and gets 30 years and a repeat murderer gets five years, we say that is a miscarriage of justice, rightly so. Why? Lex talionis, because the punishment must fit the crime. So we see it, and we, we have remnants in our society that has understood it and has embedded it in our judicial system. Well, man, we need to be thinking that way morally across the board. Now, you know, you... you get into weeds pretty quickly and say, well, but is it, you know, is, is a lie worse than a theft? Well, you know, you, you can have those debates, but the point, the fundamental point is that not all sins are morally grievous. They will all send you to hell. They're all rebellion against God. But remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Pilate says, you know, uh, and I have authority to let you go. I have authority to kill you. And he said, no, you don't have any authority except what's been given to you from the father. And then he said, the one who delivered me to you is mm-hmm. guilty of a greater crime. Oh. oh, okay. Jesus himself is saying moral equivalency doesn't apply in what's going on here. Right. We need to understand that. So law gospel at the ground in order to rightly understand what's happening in our nation Absolutely. right now. And then to appropriately resist, to yeah. appropriately stand against these kind of attacks that are coming upon us. You know, we've got a book on this, Law and the Gospel by Ernie Reisinger. It's just been reprinted, and I would plead with you, if you're you're fuzzy on it or you just want a basic kind of primer on it, get this book and uh, read it and, and distribute it. Teach the, the biblical wisdom that is in it because it will help your people pastors let me just plead with you to think about law and gospel if we get this straight then we're going to automatically have guardrails up that's going to keep us from going off the side on the right or the left and it will give us clarity to look honestly at what's going on to assess it in the light of who god really is and what he's required of us and also then to offer the hope Mm -hmm. of the gospel of the ever Uh, the the eternal son of God who's loved us with an everlasting love. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could get uh, one main idea to leave our folks with from this podcast is to see that uh, the rioting that has gone on, even the response uh, to COVID that has gone on in the year of our Lord, 2020 is not, it's, it's not an accident. It's not, it's not this random molecule that's banging around this. Well, that was weird. You know, we just had a hiccup in 2020. We'll get through this always, something always happens bad in, in election years and everything will go back to normal. No, we are dealing with ideologies that are manifesting themselves. Now, they might not manifest themselves uh, December 2020 and in 2021 the exact same way that they're manifesting themselves now, but you have to see that our very nation is off the tracks. It's absolutely off the tracks, and a merely pragmatic response is not going to do. It's not just Mm -hmm. merely pragmatic resistance, Mm -hmm. but it is 
it is holistic resistance, meaning we need to resist this through prayer. We need to acknowledge God. You've got to help us. If you don't help us, we will not be helped. We need revival in our churches. Mm. We need pastors that have courage and backbone. And we need political leaders that are actually going to operate according to the Constitution and be held accountable by the churches. So yes, we need police officers who are actually going to do what police officers are supposed to do. And we need a church that's going to be willing to tell them that. So it's going to be a holistic resistance. We need personal responsibility right in the home with husbands and fathers that know how to resist if physical attacks do come upon them so that they're not afraid to go out. We're not going to be afraid to go out into the city and, and still enjoy God's world that we live in. We're going to know how to operate in these particular situations. So it is a holistic resistance, body and soul, spiritual and physical, to this actual rebellion and rioting that is a contrary worldview. Right. And we're not going to get out of this without genuine reformation and revival. And so we, we've got to work for this. Brothers, I mean, I, again, to my fellow pastors, we got to see these things clearly. we got to preach this in a way that our folks understand and are given the tools they need to live in this world where everything seems topsy-turvy. If you don't, let me just assure you, your people who are living day by day in these businesses, in these workplaces, uh, dealing with the uh, educational institutions, all the other things going on, they're having to deal with it. And we hear from them. Man, we hear from them multiple times a day. And people are, are dying for godly leadership, for biblical counsel and wisdom to think rightly and to understand, okay, what do we do now? How do we live in the midst of these, uh, these manifestations of this godlessness that is all around us? So get straight on law and gospel, preach it to your people, help them to think rightly, and you will serve them well. Amen. We need to do some training, some deeper training on this, maybe put it up in the armory. And yeah. so uh, for those of you who are fan members, Founders Alliance membership, thank you for yes. your support. We hope that the resources that come to you monthly, we know there's a lot of things. So some people get books, some people um, get other materials, and then everybody gets access to that armory where we have weekly content going up. We got something from Larry Taunton coming up yeah. uh, where he deals That's with cool. like the history of Marxism and yeah. I don't know, in a very short <laughs> window of time, like a four to eight minute study of how uh, Marxism developed in cultural Marxism and all of that, but we should put in some, you know, how do you, what are the responsibilities of physical resistance and situational specifics? We find some people that have really plowed that area and put that up in the armory as well. So if you want to join the fam, you can go to founders.org, check out those three levels where you can support the work that we're doing here. And we want to get you those resources. Thanks so much for listening to the sword and the trowel.